That guy's out of his mind. I did too. That's all I could think about. Just a total mess. An absolute mess. Hello? Sarah? Hey. Hi, this is Terrence. Hi. So sorry about hey. that. We're we're we're, at, we're a three piece now on this end, so <laughs> we, I made it. We might be able to squeeze the show out of this. <laughs> yeah, we have one more person that'll be here momentarily. Um but we can get rolling. Yeah, we might as well get started. Um and so it probably helps since you can't see us for us to just introduce ourselves and hopefully you can associate our voices with um our names. I'm Terrence. Tom. Tanya. <laughs> hey. The nice to meet y'all. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Now, uh now Sarah, you're from you're correct me if I'm wrong, you're from uh Mouth of Wilson. I'm not far from that. I'm from Washington County, Virginia. Okay. Okay. For some reason I thought that uh I saw you put something from Mouth of Wilson up, which I thought you might have been the most famous person from there, but there's been like, you know, like three hundred NBA players come through there some junk <laughs> yeah that's a good point i like i i just like grace and highlands so that's, that's the picture yeah um i know so it's like an hour from where i grew up now more like 45 minutes maybe right right i know where grace and highlands is Are, um is damascus in washington county or am i just totally yeah that's where my grandfather lives actually awesome i rent box there <laughs> yeah it's great yeah I've been fly fishing there uh, <laughs> you don't need no goddamn flash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I drank on the creek bank while somebody else did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I ever uh, go off the grid, Damascus is where I want to go. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good place to do that. Yeah, it really is. He means when he goes off the grid. <laughs> when, when, not if. It's not a question of if. All right, so let's introduce our guest. Sarah, you work, you write for the New Republic, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay, and um, and so you cover Appalachia for the most part? I do. I do. I cover Appalachia. I cover, like, also just generally property, uh, politics, and I write sometimes about culture, too. Yeah. Cool. I have a question. It, I feel like so many national outlets so few national outlets have an Appalachian correspondent or whatever the hell how do you, how did that come to be are you the first one or are you this is just what they do yeah so it's like more of an unofficial beat it's just something that I write about a lot because you know I'm from there and it's important to me um but yeah I don't know too many people who are even in media generally who are from Appalachia let alone write about it on a regular basis <laughs> Yep. Yeah, we've we've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're from here. You can probably imagine how hard it is, or how frustrating it is to see it get written about. Um, for example, like after the election. Well, and it's still ongoing. This mm-hmm. sort of um, Trump country narrative in the liberal media. Um, it's pretty maddening to see so few voices from the region actually get. Included in that conversation, but, but right, you, you right, and so it seems hard. like when they do, it's somebody like JD Vance. Uh, our favorite, <laughs> exactly. Not our favorite. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I thought it would be a good. So yeah, so like, we had this New York Times reporter that was here, like, uh, was it two weeks ago, Tom? Yeah, Campbell Robertson, who's the Southern correspondent for the New York Times, which, according to you, is not your favorite publication today. Uh, hey, I fucking hate the New York Times, Sarah. So, uh, bag we, on it all you want. We, we we think Campbell's maybe one of the decent ones, but he he asked the he asked the question. He asked, you know, what's missing from the national coverage of Appalachia? And he's you know he's from like Alabama, Montevallo, Alabama, and I thought it was interesting because you know he he had enough, I guess, presence of mind to think. You know, he couldn't put his finger on it, but he asked me that, and and that's kind of part of what I thought we might talk about mm-hmm. today. Um, First person narrative to start with. Yeah, bringing bringing in the uh, <laughs> that's what's missing. The experts. 
Yeah, yeah. I I think that is a lot of it. Like, I mean, like I said, uh, like a minute or so ago, like there just aren't very many people at these big national quote unquote prestigious outlets who are actually from central Appalachia, let alone greater Appalachia, let alone like more impoverished areas of the deep south. Um, so there's a real lack. I mean, there's a problem with newsroom diversity overall, and that that extends to socioeconomic diversity too. Um, and like that's obvious, right? Like we can see it in the way that Appalachia is written about, and we can see it in the way that the South is written about, and we we can see like how easy it is for people to latch on to somebody like Advance, for example. And I don't mean to set up like just him as like you know this exemplar of all, of all that's terrible. Um, but when there aren't, like, when the media hasn't been putting out competing narratives, well, you know, you see what happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think what Appalachia really needs is its own Louise Minch. That's what we, we really... <laughs> that's, what, that's what's missing from <laughs> that, that That was actually my response. You stole my thunder there. <laughs> um, one of the things, like, Tanya and I were talking about earlier this week, we were like, what are we going to talk about with Sarah? And we wanted to talk about Twitter. But I was trying to explain to Tanya who even L- Louise Minch is, and then I was just going down this total rabbit hole. Of, like, I don't know. It's just so hard to explain to someone who doesn't spend their entire fucking day on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try as I may, Twitter is not my space. <laughs> You're better off. <laughs> You're a better person for it. You really are. That's what we like so much about about you on Twitter, Sarah, is that we, in a classic case of real recognizing real. <laughs> um, real recognizing our, our our uh, we we fancy ourselves haters, and we see that that the best of us in you, and so. That is a high compliment. I'm flattered. We salute you for that. We need to throw our own player haters ball down here at some yeah. juncture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we really do. Um, so yeah, so um, I think it'd probably be a good sort of segue to talk about the th- some of the things you you have written. Tanya did send me a link to something that you wrote today, and I haven't had a chance to uh, read it yet. So it's just a real good blast of the New York Times pew, pew, uh, pew, at a pew. on a perfect day because actually the New York Times dropped an article today about Kentucky about. Um, uh, we might be the first state without a, an abortion clinic. And this woman who's actually been to Wattsburg a couple times named Cheryl, whatever the hell, I can't remember her last name, she actually called me. Uh, I spent an hour on the phone with this woman a few weeks ago, and then she completely cut East Kentucky out of the whole fucking story. We're not even in the story. Wow. And she talked to, I know, at least three other people in East Kentucky she talked to. I just skimmed it, so hell, I might be wrong about that. We might have to cut that out. But <laughs> I definitely didn't see anyone I knew, and I definitely didn't see anything about East Kentucky or Appalachia. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that actually brings up a good point, Tanya, because one of the articles she did write um, like a year ago, um, and this is something I've noticed a lot in the national sort of media discourse on Appalachia, is that the the articles that do get written about us um, – if they're not just like total, um, just right wing, like uh, defamatory, just you know what I mean, like the JD Vance or even National Review type shit, you'll have like the New York Times liberal critique or like the Nick Kristoff type of mm-hmm. critique where it just focuses on individual actors in a community that mm-hmm. are that are just trying to. And so this woman Cheryl Sandberg had written an article about this protest that we had done at at oh this. Um, at this event in Pikeville, and all mm-hmm. of us participated in it, but it only singled out these two individuals as part of the protest and made them seem like the sort of like heroes in the, in this event. And so, like a lot of national media, when they talk about Appalachia, doesn't recognize like organizing. Organizing. They never depict mm-hmm. us as organizers. Right. Like we're just out here frailing about. We just stumbled off a turnip truck and had a weird politic, and here we are, glowing <laughs> examples. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you can't be radicalized in East Kentucky. It's horseshit. Right, yeah. I mean, my understanding is that most of the protesters who were in Bible over the weekend were from the area itself. Like, they organized and had been organizing for weeks ahead of this. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the neo-Nazis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was, that's a whole other wad of hell. But, yeah, that had been organized for months. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, who who was the the dude that was like there was some conspicuously absent from this, and it was like local people, and it's just like, did you watch the same live feed that? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, yeah, one of the people that went to jail is actually from Pikeville. Um, oh really? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. And then there were two people that went to jail, and the other one was from West Virginia. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. none of it. Homegrown hero. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the media coverage of that event has been pretty fucking insane in and of itself. But um, some enterprising journalist, hints, hints, if you know any, should write some sort of uh, thesis on the whole thing. It's a pretty Good. fascinating. With contained within it, it is sort of a microcosm of of crises and like community responses to those crises. I'm very curious to know what you what you do make the trips back down for. Are you on the wedding funeral circuit? It mainly just like the family circuit. I do have tickets to see to go to Rhythm and Roots in Bristol. Um, oh, awesome! Yeah, yep, yep. Um, but it's it's really hard, and I I don't think people realize like I mean it's such a larger problem that it's so expensive to get a flight in and out. of a rural areas to begin with, but it's real hard to get back and forth. And it's real hard um, for my family to come up and like see me. Like even when I, I was based in DC for a while, that was still difficult. Yeah. No, I mean, the reason Tanya asked that, I think we had this long conversation yesterday about how fucking insane it is to visit your hometown, uh, especially if it's in a rural place and, you become more and more disconnected from the people there, and it can be a very hard experience to go back. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, I don't I don't know what it was like for you guys, but like for me growing up, you know, I was really restless, and I wanted to see the rest of the country. I wanted to see the rest of the world. So you know, I left Southwest Virginia to go to college and kind of split my time until I was older. And now, like now that I've been out like for good for a few years and working, I feel like I've come to appreciate a lot more. And wish that I could spend like a lot more time there than I get to now. So we just had our fourth uh, Trill Billy join us, um, Willa. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. All right, so we we're talking about some of the things you've written. One of the th so one thing I really wanted to talk about a lot mm -hmm. was this article you had written like three, four weeks ago. You wrote it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, but it was about uh, government and the role of government in Appalachia. Yeah. And it's a very interesting time to talk about this um, because the Obama administration didn't really do shit uh, in terms of helping this region out. Um, and mm -hmm. the few things that it did do were incredibly like market driven. Right. Mm -hmm. So you had like um, this promise zone thing um, and you had what is called like the power plus plan and you have mm -hmm. something called like the reclaim act and all of these things they sort of uh get at the like the sort of role of government in stimulating local economies but it's not like what they were doing with the war on poverty in the 60s right so i don't know i i, I just wanted to know if you had any insight into that like the fact that we are now sort of in this moment where, like, the, we know the Trump administration is not going to do shit in, right. in terms of, like, actually using government to address any of the problems here. So, like, it's looking kind of dismal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not encouraging, that's for sure. I feel like, and I think my colleague and I, Laura Reston, we argued this in the piece, but, like, it was a big failing of the Democratic Party. And, like, there were a lot of failings in the region that we could talk about um, that they didn't sort of message around this idea that government can be good and government can like, have a tangible benefit to people's lives. And, like, it's not actually – there's nothing wrong with being, quote-unquote, dependent on government. Um, so as a result, like, you just don't have the sort of uh, – social welfare infrastructure that the region actually needs. Um, and it's, you know, it's clear at this point, like corporations are partially or largely really responsible for the situations Appalachia is in right now. I don't understand why anyone thinks more of that is exactly what the area needs. At least government is actually accountable to voters in a certain sense. Uh, so it seems like 
that's that's the direction we need to be headed. Now, whether or not the Democratic Party recognizes that and is willing to kind of go in that direction, that more populist direction, and they have been going, that's that's not as clear to me. When do you think the switch happens there? Like, you know, like. I grew up in Whitesburg here, and we were all New Deal Democrats until, like, maybe George Bush's, like, second election somewhere thereabouts. Mm-hmm. When do you think that that was sort of, and I, I assume it's probably a lot the same for you where you were at. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that is actually about when the switch started to happen. When we were reporting this story, I started looking at, like, electoral response uh results for for specifically central Appalachia and the coal fields um, because, you know, Reagan tried to ax the Apple Regional Regional Commission just like Trump tried to do. Right. Um, and, like, what, what people from outside the area don't understand, I think, is that it was a pretty strong blue firewall, right? Like, people were, as you said, these New Deal Democrats, and then you can see it shrink and shrink and shrink. And then somewhere around George Bush's second term, it shrunk a lot, and by the time Obama was elected the first time, it was pretty much gone. Um, and that's interesting to me. Like, I feel like there are a lot of different reasons for why that could be. It would mostly be, like, a lot of speculation on my part. I don't think welfare reform helps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, like, you know, I don't have a smoking gun, and I wish I did. Yeah, I think it was – yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one thing. It was – I think welfare reform did play a large role in it. Um, I also think the war on coal, like this, that sort of messaging, mm-hmm. um, played a huge role in that as well. I mean, at the, at the office I work at, I found this newspaper article from like 2008 um, from our local newspaper, and there was like our op ed section, and it was um, they they were talking about like well we're not really sure what Obama means for coal like that was a legitimate question in two thousand eight like people weren't really sure where he stood on that issue and you know you can see two thousand by the time two thousand twelve rolled around like the sort of friends of coal thing had congealed into this you know this administration is trying to kill it we yeah. um a friend and I had this conversation the other day about like also like around war on coal and the narrative that happened around. Sorry, this sounds like a very conspiracy theorist, like in a dark that, room. That's, 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 the, that's the brand. That's the wall, brand. But, um, <laughs> like, you know, I, I hate to say these words because it's so, but whatever. Um, you know, the Republicans really gained a lot in rural communities after 9-11. Like they, mm-hmm. like, they waved this flag. They wrapped themselves in this banner. And it was like this time, it was like this moment where your everyday citizen suddenly became your hero because like firefighters mm-hmm. and policemen were suddenly like the yes. people on the front lines. Yeah. And War on Coal saw that. Yes. They wrapped themselves in that banner too and it became like a martyrdom all of a sudden. Valorization. Yeah. 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 And totally. so like, you know, Don Blankenship starts wearing a flag shirt to every rally oh and <laughs> And so like it, it became like this thing and, and it really did like Republicans sort of rallied around it and the country was sort of like on edge and it just built this whole narrative that we're still seeing play out now of, of the Republicans are who, you know, are just wanting to protect you and your your little piece of whatever. And, yeah, they're patriots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, the war on coal is really successful at kind of getting in on that moment Tapping into you. that. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the 9-11 just did a lot to just – if you look at, like, the sort of, like gl- – anti-globalization movement and you know like the fact that these huge protests had taken place in seattle against like the world trade organization like there was a legitimate growing anti-globalization movement in this country and i think 9-11 really yeah i feel like glenn beck like (laughs) to be on a radio show like 9-11 led to this but um, <laughs> in your garage, like yeah. Russ Cole and True Detective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I promise I don't think about this all the time, but it, it was like we were just like having this conversation of like, what was like the tide that changed all this? Like, because we were talking about like how everyone sort of like went from fighting the coal companies to fighting for the coal companies, and like what was that mm-hmm. shift? And I've always said like there was a shift around like taking the organizing history and just rebranding it a little bit in yeah. favor for coal mm-hmm. companies and then I like the more I talked about it I was like but it also like happened around this time in our country and like 
yeah. it just was like fuel to the fire. That's absolutely right. And I was thinking a lot about this too, just how Republicans in the last 15, conservatives in the last 15 or 20 years have co-opted, they've appropriated, um, well, obviously we know how the alt-right and how a lot of far-right people have appropriated a lot of the language to the left, but just the color mm-hmm. red throughout history has been this sort of revolutionary, mm-hmm. like it's meant to invoke the sort of revolutionary forever. And like, you know, it was co-opted by the republicans you had red states <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like you really i know it seems like a minute point but it is interesting it is real interesting i think i think you're all right and i think you know just by virtue of being like a reactionary movement um conservatism was kind of really good at tapping into this fear that people have this idea that you know they're under they're experiencing some sort of existential threat and it gets all wrapped up together mm-hmm Oh, yeah. It's pretty terrifying, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do y'all have anything? Yet? No, I, I, just to tack on what Willow was saying, too, you even sort of had a split in the coal industry. I mean, maybe you can remember this one. I was a kid. Like, if you were working as a strip miner, like, that was like a dirty word. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there was still that sense that, like, mechanization uh, is going to kill these jobs and mm-hmm. if you're supporting this then you're going to eventually put us all out of business and I wonder I've been thinking about when was the point where um, if you attacked one facet of the industry it was just sort of looked at as an affront to the whole thing the and whole we're all industry. in this sort of together and, yeah. and, and I, I can't really point that out but the whole Friends of Coal thing was just tremendously successful Yeah, it, I mean it was mm-hmm. a campaign it was a communications campaign that that Friends yeah. of Coal started for a brilliant sure. one. <laughs> when I yeah. left for when I left for college in two thousand four, that I that was not a thing. Friends of Coal was not in existence. You never saw those stickers, and I still heard stories about unionizing, even though we were f- pretty far from it. Um, I was still hearing tales of that, and I certainly never heard anyone take up for a company. When I came <laughs> back four years later, it was like. The world had spun. Yeah, a total 180. It made no fucking sense. And even my uncle was talking crazy shit, like he still does, because completely off his rocker. And I was like, I don't know. And of course, I had come back from college, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it all after my five years at EKU. Papa, Papa, it's called Papa. It's called mechanization. Papa. <laughs> 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 So they all, my family hated me when I got back from college. They were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, we went through the same thing. Like, you know, my dad, my dad to this day will say like, well, the, you know, you got to bring jobs back for the coal miners. And I saw them moving equipment up the road the other day. That's my favorite sentence right now in Eastern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Post-Trump mm-hmm. election is I saw them moving equipment. I've heard that. I was yeah, standing. Sure, sure is good yeah. to see those cars hauling yeah. coal. Yeah. I was standing in the post office literally yesterday and heard those exact yeah. words. And every time I hear it, I'm just like, oh, dear. Yeah. Um, but my dad, like, my dad, I'm just like, I'll, I'll constantly be like, Dad, you were the one who, like, snuck up on a strip mine and videoed it and sent it to the local news when I was little. Like, you thought that it was wrong. Like, you know, like, it, this weird shift happened of, like, you were fighting strip mining and now you don't care as long as there's jobs. And I, I really don't know what that shift was either. Like, it really did just completely change. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it, was gra- it was more gradual for my family because they did have quite a group of, like, liberal women in the family who were constantly talking. And so it took a while for, like, the shift to happen in my family to be like, well, you know, as long as it's jobs. But it happened, like, regardless of the dialogue that was happening. So Right. Yeah. I blame, I blame the recession a bit for that, too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like Appalachia was already kind of in a recession before that, but... Yeah. After the Great Recession, it's just like the economy and jobs were all anyone was talking about anywhere. Um, and I think it just made sort of the situation seem especially dire and especially stark. Yeah. And and that's absolutely right. And it's like we've talked about this on the show, too. I think that no matter your politics, um, witnessing n- literally nobody be held accountable for that. Like, mm-hmm. no matter if you're conservative or liberal or, or whatever, like, just seeing that basic fact unfold in front of your eyes, like, you would have had a really hard time making that fit with your sort of personal moral framework of, of how the world is supposed to work. You fuck up, mm-hmm. there are consequences. 
people saw that yeah. that was not that that didn't happen with that event, and I think that that really did cause disillusionment in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there were a lot. Yeah. Of, I mean, there were a lot of local people that voted Obama first election, but they started to feel the pressure of the recession, and whether or not. You know, whether or not people can make sense of that, it, it was happening before Obama took office or it was happening during his first uh, his first four years, it didn't matter. It happened in his first four years, and it was mm-hmm. like there was a switch. Like, you know, you were in office, you didn't save us, like, we're going the other way, and it's just gotten more extreme as that's went on. I also think, though, you know, if your life has somehow become more precarious since 2008 – and you were already like largely ignored forever yeah. and ever before that, you know. Like, how can you expect? And, and you know, the other thing that that bugs me about Obama is that, like, you know, I know he's blamed for this, like, you know, downfall of the coal industry and all this sort of thing. But if you're the president of the United States and there's a congressional district, Kentucky's fifth, which has been dead last in every quality of life measure for the last forty years, fifty years, whatever, like, wouldn't it like? occur to you to like make a visit and try to sort of mitigate some of this like you know you know what i'm saying yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and and like to just make the connection like the the congressional district that's dead last is also the one that the congressman is your head of appropriation committee like it's like complete opposites and no one's like saying wait a minute (laughs) like you're ahead of all this money and your your district is drowning so yeah we're talking about hal rogers here Sarah, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before. I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she has. <laughs> Go throw a new one at you, uh, Sarah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah, don't don't let Terrence mansplain to you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why we have two women on the show. They have to keep me. I have this terrible habit of... <laughs> All right, well, so the where I wanted to go with that... Is that um, what I do think, though, is is new, um, and I haven't really seen this reported on a lot in the national media, is that I, th- I think this narrative of the Friends of Coal, and obviously the narrative of the war on coal, like these things are, for all intents and purposes, they're pretty much dead in the water. And you are starting to see at the local level this total crisis of legitimacy that I think... Mm-hmm is sort of compounded by the end of this sort of Friends of Coal campaign, but also by the fact that coal's not coming back, and also by the fact that all of our county governments are broke as fuck. Right, um, yeah. So for the first yeah. for like the first time in a long time, us as local organizers, like we, we don't it's actually kind of optimistic in some ways. We don't have to go up against this sort of like larger hegemonic idea of um, friends of coal of of this sort of like big other like this big like pervading cultural force in our lives in our political organizing and all this and I, at the, and that is that is pretty new historically speaking regionally speaking historically speaking does that make any sense yeah no it does and I think I think there are some other reasons to be optimistic too like first you don't have to convince people to be angry right now they're already angry and like they're right like they're so like this is a bit of nuance that i think like a lot of my colleagues in media don't get which is that you know people have a valid reason to be angry they just don't always you know necessarily accurately diagnose the source of those problems um but that's where our local organizers come in and that's where like you know places like institutions like the democratic party should have been there and like helping steer this um but local organizers are stepping in where the party has failed. And I think, you know, I don't think any of us are under any illusions here. Like, Trump is not going to be good for Appalachia, and inevitably there's going to be some disappointment. Um, so, you know, local organizers are ready to to uh, address that when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like our organizing, um, at least locally and in my eyes, has had, is having to shift to a more... Um, like I even read something about this a few months ago that, um, you know, we used to talk about the really big differences in service and organizing and how those are so different. And here we really can't differentiate, fuck, whatever the fuck you word. Would, we you, like can't me to separate min- would you like me to mansplain to you how to <laughs> yeah, say that please. word? <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Um, anyway, we can't we can't prioritize organizing that doesn't serve people, and we can't be serving people without organizing them. Like these two things have to be married. Like people need infrastructure. People are not making any money. They are losing access to their health care. Um, mm-hmm. the the list is long, and um, people are suffering hard as fuck. Um, and it, and it it is sad to see the Democratic Party talk in literal garbage. Like literally everything they say is so astronomically out of touch. It's almost hard to imagine that they could possibly be this completely fucking off the charts. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, it kind of seems like we need a new party or something. <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, to me, like, in, in rural areas, you almost don't even have two parties. You just have different versions of one party, really. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not really fighting, you know, if they, if they, when you put their stances up against each other, they all align just to different moderate, like, one's more moderate, one's more conservative, like, but they're not, they're not op- opposite opposing each other they're right. very similar yeah like on on a national level sure you might have two parties but i don't think you have two parties locally no know? our representative <clears throat> publicly said she voted for trump <laughs> all of them who's did. a democrat yeah. she's yeah. Damn it, you couldn't yeah. get elected she's a democrat she said it. Right. she also said cousin. she was uh against abortion right she also buys us beers on Saturday night. I don't know. I don't know what to think yeah, anymore. Like, <laughs> at the time, I remember being like upset, but now, like, I'm, I look back, like during the election, during the Trump stuff, I was like so angry about it. But I like, went, and, you know, you go and you vote for these people anyway because you realize like they're not going to get elected unless they say that stuff. Yeah, and there's no alternative. <laughs> yeah, if you want anyone who's going to semi be on your side, you have to like, you have to like swallow a lot of pride at the voting poll that day. Because there's just no one else up to to vote for. Right, yeah. Today, there's actually a local mayor's race happening in Jackson, Mississippi, where people had somebody to vote for. That's something. A socialist? Yeah. Yeah. um, A real socialist? I'm going to butcher his name real bad. Um, Maybe you know his name, Sarah. But it's uh, Lumumba, I think. Right, Chuck is Wayne? he the Democratic Socialist candidate there? Yeah, like, yeah, yep. and his dad yeah. was actually held that office um, and passed away in office, and he ran on that special election and lost. But um, right. he's been organizing ever since, and um, with I think Freedom Road Socialist Organization has been there on the ground supporting that, and um, they're actually in uh, the DSA probably. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I have no idea. But they're, they're, the election is today, so we'll know something within hours, I'd say. Yeah, that one is super exciting. And I know uh, DSA uh, just got someone on a city council down in Georgia, too. Khalid Kamal, I think his name is pronounced. I might be butchering that, too. Yeah. Um, but that was exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. Me and Tom tried to convince Tanya to help us start a local DSA, but she said, I don't know how I feel about that, so I'm so going to shame her on my we, podcast. We need you to talk her into it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, okay, so the sort of explosion of... <clears throat> I, I, I do, I like, this is something that's just really pissed me off, especially because a bunch of Nazis came to town this past weekend, and they get all these write-ups in newspapers, and there's, like, only a hundred of them, whereas... DSA's membership is fucking skyrocketing and like the Boston Globe over the weekend you probably saw it Sarah had this insane article about like can white supremacists build lasting tradition uh, uh, alliances and it's just like if you the Democratic Socialists of America haven't even been mentioned in the Boston Globe, but like twelve fucking white supremacists get <laughs> together and get, chain yeah, and get four, yeah. and get front page coverage on the Boston Globe, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of people just don't know how to cover the alt right at all, um, and like they like obviously it's real and it's a problem, and I don't mean to like underplay that at all, but they do tend to like significantly overestimate their abilities. Yeah, we validate them in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's because I think the far right is inherently not subversive to power. Like power doesn't view the far it doesn't view the far right as a threat to its power. It does view the far left as a threat to its power. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that the media sort of 
a lot of the media plays into that dynamic when mm-hmm. it covers it and wasn't there just uh, an article rolling up all the alt right groups and they rolled in like Chapo Trap House <laughs> in alt in alt right? Yeah, yeah. They mentioned um, oh, one that was Andrew Salt. Was that Andrew Salt? Yeah. Oh, did that yeah. happen? <laughs> I didn't. That know was that. like this past week. Did <laughs> you? Does this ring a bell, Sarah? Yeah, I think it is in New York Magazine. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he put Chapo Trap House as an alt right. No, he said yeah. it was all left, but. Oh, yeah, it's, it is that whole idea of there there being an alt left, which I don't like. It's not a thing, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just nowhere, you know. It's a smear, basically, so people don't have to listen to anyone who's on the left. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. That's right. exactly right. Well, um, so have you ever uh, heard of or read a book called "They'll Cut Off Your Project" by a guy named Huey I Perry? Have, I have heard of it. I have not read it yet. Um, so it's actually pretty fascinating, and I, I really I think it's really good. Um, but I thought like it sort of brought closure to this conversation in the sense that um, you know you you wrote this article, you had this article calling for sort of like some big government solutions to some of the problems here, and in the '60s, like the war on poverty was sort of that. But what it ran into, and what this book sort of goes into detail explaining, is it ran into the problem of local politics. And local corruption. And I guess what I'm saying is that what I was mentioning earlier is like for the first time in a long time, like we're not, we are up against those forces, but those forces are sort of undergoing a total crisis of legitimacy. Like people, I mean, I don't know if any mattress on our current county government level is going to get reelected because we're so fucking broke and all yeah. of the counties around us are just going under left and right it's pretty wild and then here in letcher county the the uh the big band-aid that the feds are offering us is a uh, federal prison which is the only one in the bop pipeline right now that a mm-hmm. lot of these guys are sort of latching on to as sort of you know the one big thing that's going to save us but you know these are the types of projects that go to rural areas you know where there's not a ton of political organization and there's super small tax bases and and all these things and so if not just incompetence and corruption, you know, we're yeah. up against, yeah. you know, those sorts of uh, shitty crumbs that yeah. we get. Yeah. But the reason I mention any of that is because, like, I really would, you know, I really would like to see media sort of look at, like, tackle that issue. Everything's like a headline now. And so you blame the headlines or you blame the media or you blame, you know, it's never going to be the actual politicians' faults. Yeah, Yeah, as we have seen since Hal Rogers and Mitch McConnell have both been in office longer than we've all been alive. Yeah. 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 And like just like even the way things have been co-opted from this from the whole Nazi rally, like the narrative that people are walking away with is not that there were Nazis in Pikeville, Kentucky. Like it's this whole narrative that there was alt left in eastern Kentucky. Like I I just think like just rally in teachers. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I think people's fears get played on so easily that I don't I don't think that I don't know I just don't think the blame goes back on the politicians yeah. enough yeah 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 and, and you know of course like you know we're talking about you know there's been no shortage of like federal money trickling to eastern Kentucky and Appalachia in general over the last 40 50 years and then you know what ends up happening has, some some local judge ends up on a boat called the SS <laughs> Promise Zone or has anyone ever had that intense, that intense conversation with Earl Gold where he asked you why Eastern Kentucky's not pulled out of oh the red? God. Has anyone had that? No. I've, I've been around other people who've had this conversation. So Earl Gold actually follows <laughs> me on Twitter. <laughs> we're friends on we're friends on a few social media platforms. Yeah. <laughs> the head is, of the, is Earl Gold the head of the uh, ARC? ARC. Okay. Um, he uh, I was like twenty four maybe like I was young and I met him at um the. the ARC mixer they had, and there's ARC mixers. Oh yeah, it was a third. Oh fuck yeah! It's like what's the, what's you know, like whenever they have their like regional commission in the fall, the night before, it's always like a little meet and greet banquet. And so someone had like introduced me to him because I was a, in a fellowship, and he goes, um, you know, we we put all this money into the region to get it out of like these distress zones, and you can see in Virginia how they've pulled themselves out of the distress uh, red zones and. West Virginia, but East Kentucky can't pull themselves out. Why do you think that is? I'm like, oh, (laughs) 
Okay, Earl Gull, let me let me solve years of crosses problems right. in East Kentucky. Oh, this is a person that <laughs> runs. Uh, it's really crazy that. I don't know. It's just really crazy that this is a pretty powerful person who runs a, an organization ostensibly yeah. dedicated to addressing mm-hmm. poverty. Who runs a yeah. failing federal agency. And, Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> and he can't. I don't know. This. I think that's just incredibly tone deaf. <laughs> it was. It, that's that's what it, that's what felt so surreal about it because it's like isn't it's like when you go to the doctor and you're like I'm here, uh, you know something feels weird and and, he, and they're like well what do you think's wrong with you. Well, isn't it your job to tell me what, like, you know, like, it's like this thing of, like, aren't you supposed to sort of know why you're not pulling us out of the distressed area here? Like, yeah, isn't yeah. that your job? Um, and But he's had that conversation with several people, so I'm just always curious, like. Or it's his job to ask some meaningful fucking questions yeah. that people might actually have, like, feel like they can give him some insight on, yeah. you know, and that make people feel a little bit like they're a part of some solutions that he's got going on. He does that to, to like, make let people know how hard his job is. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, like, <laughs> doing that. To, it's like a power play. I went to one of these ARC. It was, like, one of their 50th. Um, it was around their 50th, and they were doing – I'm pretty sure they are about 50 now, right? Yeah, this 1965. Was a, yeah, a couple years ago, I went to this presentation. They were doing the Celebrate Their 50th, and they had hired this glossy-ass corporate consultant firm to you know, evaluate their work and create an executive summary of a large research pile of shit. And I swear to you, most of what they claimed that they had done in 50 years was septic systems mm-hmm. was get us indoor bathrooms you can't tell a wet cat and not, I could not hit a <laughs> goddamn shitty creek i know <laughs> the fact <laughs> that they the fact that their biggest 50 years of arc funding and leadership in the region of federal power in the region all they had to t- say for themselves was people can flush the toilet in their house now yeah I literally could not believe it. Yeah. I, I remember, like, in that conversation, just being like, I don't know. Like, you give money to corrupt local government, and it doesn't go further than that. It bottlenecks in the Kentucky like, State <laughs> House. I, the money doesn't get to where it needs to go. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Well, and it's not designed in a way to actually empower empower anybody, mostly because they're fucking terrified of politics. Yeah. You know, like they they are. They're absolutely fucking terrified. And I can't blame them in some ways because... They are on the chopping block. They are on the chopping block, <laughs> yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, no. Uh, I think what, what the solution calls for... I was talking to Tom about this this weekend. If I was a producer at uh, HGTV, I would, <laughs> <laughs> I, would pr- I would pitch a show where, like, two strapping uh, young remodelers go to downtown various downtown businesses in central Appalachia and try to renovate like falling buildings that have been falling apart (laughs) if you do that I'm starting my mom blog and riding your coattails (laughs) (laughs) mom blogs that's my dream (laughs) yeah Willis showed me this crazy I like I like the DIY economy that that is emerging. Willis showed me this this crate this uh, page on Facebook where this woman just shells clams all day, oh my and God. she's actually very personable. <laughs> she's got like, yeah. If <laughs> me you, and Willis were watching the video forever. <laughs> if you're not watching somebody shuck oysters on, on your knots off, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, it is it is gambling for good Christian ladies. <laughs> so if the government and politics and shit doesn't save us it'll be like 3d printers and like it'll be the diy economy really facebook live's gonna do it (laughs) this leads us to the real question for you sarah short of shucking oysters on facebook live how do we get twitter famous tell us how to blow up on twitter Tony just wants that blue check mark yeah she's just she's angling for that blue check mark I, don't I even... mean, for me, it's just I'm angry a lot in public. <laughs> Check. <laughs> that seems to work. Um, other than that, I'm gonna throw out a full grocery cart across Food City tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I'll videotape you doing it, Doris. <laughs> I'll wait till Doris ain't working. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, that's that's a lot. All, I've exhausted all of my. 
Oh, no, I have more questions. Okay, we'll go for it. <laughs> Willa will love this. Often Willa and I, Sarah, um, fantasize about the dating scene in big cities. And so I need to ask you this. Uh, <laughs> Willa, <laughs> in fact, a couple years ago, this woman that I ended up at, at this like place vacation place with swore to me, argued with me that her son who lives in New York City has a harder time dating than anyone in rural America because it's just oversaturated. Really? The, oh, the, and on. I was like, please, <laughs> bitch, do not step to me. Anyway, Will and I often fantasize about being a part of big city um, northern dating scene so that we can be exotic birds. Exotic birds. <laughs> We're, and we're curious if this exotic bird life that we've imagined is real. And have you found a niche in the New York dating scene? Do tell. You know, I've heard absolute horror stories from so many people about dating in New York. Like, I've heard nothing good. But I also haven't been single for years. Oh, <laughs> when, God, I, when I came so to New York, nice. I was already with somebody. And we started dating after we were at a protest in D.C. So you might want to try that. Okay. Oh no, I've run the Macavus <laughs> reel here, sissy. That's, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> I'm just convinced I want someone so far removed from what, like, my political, or not, not like, I just don't want them to be political. Like, I just want someone who's like a little bit naive, actually. Yeah. I just, you know, just be cute little, and sweet, and yeah. that's. I think I'm good. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it when I come home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Yeah. In that case, you should just um, go to a country who has entirely different politics. You know, you have totally different reference points. You don't even know what to talk about. Uh, just yeah. Exist I think I fantasize about it. And then, like, the reality is, like, you've, I've dated those guys. And then you're like, okay, where's you, some substance? Yeah, at? you eventually just chalking it up to them being completely shallow. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. This idiot can't process. No, there was, like, sentence. one guy that, like, we used to all crush on when I was, like, younger in Tennessee. And he was, like, he was super into wrestling in his backyard, <laughs> and that's, like, all he cared about. Uh, and we all were man. in love with him because we were like, he's cute, and there's nothing beyond that. And, like, you just have fun with him. But then, like, as, as it went on, we were just like, oh, that, that's all. That's all there is. Like, <laughs> Gotta have something more than he likes, that. He likes to wrestle in his backyard. Like, <laughs> we're not. There's really nothing below that surface there. <laughs> Well, Sarah, do you have friends from the region in New York that you hang with? No, actually, I haven't. So I just moved to New York in, in October, which is part of it. Oh. Um, but, yeah, I haven't really met anyone who's also from the area, except from the editor of our magazine, who's from West Virginia. Oh, cool. um, but other than that, uh, which is telling in and of itself, right, that you just, like, don't run into a lot of people in New York who – aren't from like already from new york or already from a big city and it is weird and it feels like really alienating yeah i just find that when we travel or we move places we find each other yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping that eventually i don't know maybe there will be some secret gathering i don't know about yeah <laughs> and i'll find it or something but what about in so dc is that where you lived before i lived in dc before this um which wasn't much better because when you say Virginia, people just think Alexandria, oh, and that's definitely right. not the Virginia I'm from. So yeah, yeah, Virginia is much like Kentucky. I mean, we're both Commonwealths, of course, but there's like four Kentuckys and four Virginias, you know. Yeah, yeah, which is why I always tell people, you know, it's Southwest Virginia, and they never know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, if I don't specify, they'll think like I'm from either from Chesapeake or from Arlington, and like neither is true. Oh, God forbid. Like, Blacksburg, I've heard that referred to. It's, it is weird. In in Kentucky, people in Louisville think Lexington is East Kentucky. It's just like, oh, for that's sake. fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, someone over the weekend was talking about, um, I've heard that there's barn raves in East Kentucky because we were making a joke about raves. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, I've heard there's barn raves in East Kentucky. And I was like, where are these at? And they're like, Berea. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. God. 
there's strip mine parties in East Kentucky. We could have a barn rape though. Now that you mentioned, if we really wanted. It hadn't really occurred to me before. But, but I mean, like, it's not a it's not a scene that's here, guys. No, no. Be the scene you want to see, Willa. <laughs> Sarah, did you get much pushback today uh, about your New York Times shade? Shockingly, no. Or maybe like I've just muted them already, and so I didn't see it, but. Um, I was expecting a lot more shade than I got. Maybe it's still coming. Well, the week is young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the time this airs on Friday, you'll be blown up. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. That's always how it goes. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll uh, get you a job at Apple Shop if they uh, <laughs> burn too many bridges. Yeah, if they come at you too hard. We got you. Yeah, you can be Trillbilly number five. <laughs> I'm good with that. We need, we need, we need, we need a shot good. in the arm. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. our... Uh, our uh, unfamed. Right. <laughs> We're basking in it here. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I do a radio show on Friday mornings, just like a community radio show that no one's listening to, but I call it Feminist Fridays and play all female artists. Um, and you should sometimes. Start, you should start shouting out those. Uh, leftist female Twitter <laughs> handles <laughs> on, on the community radio station. Yo, at so this is so this is actually a good. Um, I brought up Feminist Friday last week when I got this weird message. I was going to ask you about this, Sarah. Um, does anyone ever ask you about feminism in the region? Has anyone? You know, no, not really. Which is weird now that I think about it because I get a lot of weird questions about the area, and that's never been one of them. Yeah, I got this strange e- uh, tech note. It was a Facebook message um, from a girl who had interned here briefly one summer, and I met her once. And it was this long message about, did I know of any rural feminist? Because her and her friend had went out to dinner <laughs> not, and, not thought, one. <laughs> and thought that there was a real need for rural feminism. <laughs> and and did they did I have any examples of one, or should we start oh working on that? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Messaged a feminist said, "Do you know any feminists?" I like sent back the longest message explaining like (laughs) how women have like maintained communities and families and churches and organizations and uh, stood on like union lines and then I like pointed out like you know what it was to be a single mom and then I like pointed out Tanya's Feminism Friday show and. She wrote back and was like, oh, I actually meant um, scholastically. Like, <laughs> What? And I was like, She meant yeah, like academic? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, the female professor that I put on that list. <laughs> oh, my God. I guess that's the only kind that counts. Yeah, yeah. yeah it really is. <laughs> guess she just better hit up bell hooks and hope but it for was the like, best. I, I guess that was the first time I realized, like, people outside of rural communities might not think there's feminism in rural communities. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think they think that there's any progressive people at all. I mean, yeah. they sort of just treat it as, like, these benighted monoliths of people where people just don't know what they're talking about or where they're going. Well, yeah, and I think one of the sort of impacts of the Hillary Clinton campaign was this sort of association of feminism with sort of cosmopolitanism, of sort of, like, urban liberal enlightenment just like yeah. there's no way they <laughs> back in those hills there's no way they're enlightened enough to know yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah like no one back home gives a shit about lena dunham that i know about yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the vast majority of americans don't even know who the fuck that is probably <laughs> no one like that's a reason to recommend them honestly yeah. like it's just it's not a bad thing and like you just like maybe they wouldn't even call themselves feminists. I know a lot of women back home yes, who necessarily right. like maybe don't understand like the yep. academic theory, right, or don't care about it. But why should they? Like, yep. if they're living it out on a day to day basis. Yes, and I actually said it was like a lot of women I know are feminists. They might not identify with that word exactly. And then when she wrote that back, I was like, and that's why those women don't identify with that word exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're fucking terrible. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I always say that. My, I was raised by a single mom and all of her sisters and my mama, and I say that I was raised by feminists, but they never said that. They didn't have that word, but it's yeah. not fucking yeah. necessary. Yeah. The, I mean, or go ahead, Will. The, speaking of Lena Dunham, one of my favorite headlines ever was an opinion piece. It might have been on HuffPost Women that was like, I support... As, as a feminist, I support Lena Dunham's right to be shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I like love that. that. That's good. <laughs> 
it probably explains why people like my mom, you know, who lives in a rural area, like voted for Trump, even though she did, she thought he was pretty reprehensible. Like, there's no alternative. Mm-hmm. And you know, and if you don't identify as a feminist, but you live it, you know, and you see someone who's sort of feminism is this sort of like corporatized, like enlightened, target whatever. Target commercial feminism. Yeah, yeah target commercial yeah. feminism. Like, you're gonna, you're, that's not gonna resonate with you, and you're gonna see it as condescending, actually. And yeah. Well, we've, we've been firing the questions at you, Sarah. Do you have any questions for us? Yeah, sorry. We, we, I have actually been talking. We've like been <laughs> we've just been talking at you, like, yeah, Sarah. <laughs> sorry. Pay attention to us, Sarah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Man, I've I have so many questions. I've been like I've been looking into like the what ha- what went down in Pikeville, which has like been really hard to do from a distance. Yeah, if you're gonna do it well. Um, so I'm always interested to hear from, like, people who are actually in the area, kind of how they viewed it and what they think, you know, let's say I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to other people in media. Like, what do you want them to know about what went down? Well, I actually was there. I was at a wedding. Actually, I think every single person around this all table was. We were <laughs> yeah. all at a wedding that day. Two of our best friends oh, married man, each other choice, on the day. Yeah. Right. So we were drunk and dancing. <laughs> I did watch the live stream leading up. Like I like I watched it all the way through and it was so intense and I I had like I battled like with like this fear of it the all week and then also just being like, Are we escalating this fear? Like are we like is this hysteria? Um, but also at the same time feeling hysterical. <laughs> um but I don't know, like, I think it was just, it was such a surreal moment. Like, my dad had came in to my apartment, and Rod, as they were marching up, and it was just, like, this really weird moment of, like, and he's 73, and I just looked at him, and I was like, did you ever think you would live to see this? Like, mm-hmm. did you ever think you would see a Nazi rally in East Kentucky? Like, well, I think this is a really good point, actually, and I think that this is a huge consequence of the liberal media's portrayal of this area as like white homogenous racist Trump country because like I think the neo-nazis see that and they respond to it and that's why they came in the first place they're like oh this is a white place they will be open to the sort of idea of like white supremacy as a politic and like it's bullshit a lot of the people I talked to is like telling Thomas hanging out with my friend Kelly this weekend and she was just like so wait, they 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 are here because this is a like. Don't they understand that the majority of people didn't even vote for Trump here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But because yeah. the like the media portrays it that way, the Nazis respond to that, and that's why they like we have the liberal media to fucking blame for that. I think like oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I do think that's fair. I do think like I've pointed out more than once to people. You know that that very same fact that most people in Central Appalachia. Like probably in the south, I haven't looked at it more broadly, but I know for sure in Appalachia and like the coal the coal counties, most people didn't vote, let alone vote for Donald Trump, and right. they're not yeah. the reason Donald Trump is president, right? right. Like right. No, they're not the ones who gave him a TV show to begin with, right? No. Exactly. And exactly. also, and also to that point, it's not like not like he wasn't going to carry Kentucky and West Virginia and Tennessee anyway. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. But voter turnout was extremely low. They keep saying that eighty percent of our county went to Trump when in actuality. 80% of people in our county didn't vote at all. In fact, we were battling fucking forest fires on election day, and most yeah. people just, I mean, of course I could go down the list of reasons that it's extremely hard to even vote in the first place in Kentucky. We have one of the highest disenfranchised rates in this country, but just that particular day, you literally couldn't even get out of your house. It, we had smoke everywhere. And your scarves <laughs> are on your face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, so, yeah, and then... The numbers, his numbers were not from rural places. The yeah, big no. chunks of his numbers right. were not even in rural places. It's so fucked up. Um, yeah. What I do think is like interesting about the reason why they chose Pikeville, um, or or how they tried to like, they tried to sort of um, take the messaging of the war on coal, and use it for their their benefit. And that was like everything that they posted was like white working families were here because no one cares about what's happening in your community. We're here because you need jobs. Like they'd really try to take that messaging and use it to their advantage. And it, it didn't work because I think they assumed that a mostly white community was like overtly racist, not to say there's not racism here, right? but it, that's exactly like the kind of racism we have in that 
we don't ha- we don't have a problem here is right. like the way people feel. They're not, but they're not going to come to your Nazi rally. <laughs> like they right. might be blind yeah. to what's happening, but they're not going to come to your Nazi rally. They might passively support a maximum security prison. Yes, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, how yeah. we're racist. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's yeah. systematic <laughs> racism. Yeah. Right. It's not overt yeah. Nazi racism. It, not well. That sounds, but whatever. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah it's like it. it I think they misconstrued what they could get away with or what they could organize with here. Yeah. Um, and so it was really, it was, it was just a pathetic rally. It just looked pathetic. Like, yeah. yeah. Turns mm-hmm. out Nazis are fucking terrible organizers. Who knew? <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. A people whose worldview is based on paranoia yeah. and uh, hi- hierarchy and competition, selfishness. It's. To, to get at your question, Sarah, I liked Terrence's take was that it's one of the most underreported stories of the first hundred days is that Nazis are descending on uh, rural communities. They're not homegrown. These people were from Indiana or some shit. Like, yeah. Like not Yeah, they came here from Indiana. Yeah, these are like, uh, what do they call it when people drop in? I don't know, fucking carpet baggers or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good enough word. Yeah. Let's go with it. Um, the parachute, these are like parachute yeah. Nazis. and Right, yeah. And J.D. I Vance mean, they were Matthew Hunback is not even that he lives in Indiana now. He's originally, if I'm remembering it correctly, and I'm pretty sure I am, he's from Montgomery County, Maryland, originally, which is one of the wealthiest counties in the entire country. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> yep. That's fucking, I didn't even know that, but it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. I think the only thing that was really sad that I think I took away from it is that um, there was so much fear around that rally. And then when Antifa got involved, there was so much fear around Antifa that it sort of like took away this moment to talk about racism in that suddenly we were just scared of everyone. Like the community yeah. was scared of everyone coming that day. And so it wasn't about the fact that they were anti-fascist. It was that they used tactics that people in the community might not agree with. And so they were just, it was like a blanket fear. And there was no conversation beyond who that fear should probably be more around. Yeah. The local media coverage really seemed to uh, reduce the whole thing down to two extremist organizations choosing our area as a battleground. Yeah. That's what they just like chalked it up to. Right, yeah. And, and and that's how it looked. Like that that's how it played out. Like it you know, like it looked like two groups of people just screaming at each other across the street. Yeah. <laughs> that's but a lot of local people turned out yeah. um for the march against the rally. And but that that wasn't really um recognized locally either. Yeah. 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 So so that happened. So last that week. happened last week. Uh, but we really were drunk. Yeah, we again we were at a wedding. We were trash at a wedding. <laughs> my favorite moment. My favorite moment. I will have to say is at the end when everybody was like going home and it was like all winding down and one guy was just riled up and and so he decided that the police dog needed to be watered and so he just kept screaming, "Water your dog." What are your dogs? <laughs> and I was like curling my hair, getting ready for the wedding, and I was like, "Oh shit, I should water my dog before I go." <laughs> <laughs> um, but like a little bit later, like I saw several people online just like sort of like making the joke about that. But I was like, "That's like the big quote people took away yeah. from today." <laughs> <laughs> he was very passionate about it. Yeah, right, right. Well, um, so yeah, no, uh, we've. We've got over an hour of mm-hmm. uh, of conversation of audio here. Um, any closing words? Any closing? Sarah? Um, <laughs> wow! Oh, wait, put me on the spot, y'all. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, I guess my closing thought about I guess if I had to say something about maybe like media coverage of Appalachia generally, um, I hope it's going to get better. <laughs> Um, I ho- I hope that like the most optimistic thing I have to say about any of it is like now there's an opening that people actually want to hear about Appalachia, um, which is I guess a little bit better than it was before. I feel like people are just completely ambivalent. Um, so my hope is we're gonna get keep having chances to, to sort of tell our stories in national media about it, what, what it's like to be from these places and have family in these places and experiences in these places. Um, hopefully expand the coverage outside, you know, Nazi rallies and hillbilly elegy. Hell yeah. Yep. Well, 
thanks for joining us. Yes, yeah. Sarah. Good shit. Yeah. Thanks for fucking with us. Yeah, thanks for fucking <laughs> with us. <laughs> thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, shit, no. I know, yeah. This episode in particular has to be uh, bookended by some uh, female artists. Okay. <laughs> you act like every single up. guest we've had on the show. All <laughs> our music has been dudes. Oh yeah, you guess you're right. <laughs> All the music has been dudes. Good call. Good call, Tanya. All right. <laughs> we'll do better. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> all right, Sarah. Well, we'll let you go. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation. It was great. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. I remember wearing straight leg Levi's, flannel shirts, even when they weren't. Style. I remember singing with Roy Rogers at the movies when the West was really wild. I was listening to the Opry when all of my friends were digging rock and roll and rhythm and blues. I was country when country was uncool. I remember circling the drive-in, pulling up and turning down George Jones. I remember when no one was looking, I was putting peanuts in my coat. I took a lot of kidding, cause I never did fit him. Now look at everybody trying to be what I was then. I was country. Come